Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom, I'm Dr. Diana Dye with Bible Interact TV and Foundations in Torah. Welcome back to the fifth session in our series, The Dew of Heaven. We've talked quite a bit about the dew, the concept of the resurrection of the dead, and I'd like to go into a little more information here from some of the rabbinic literature. But uh, before we do that, I just want to remind you to go to Bible Interact TV or our website, www.bibleinteract.com, and you can always sign up for our newsletter there. On the website, you'll get more information about our educational courses, so I hope you'll consider joining us in that regard. Also, Foundations in Torah is my own ministry. It's an in-depth Bible teaching, all from a Hebraic perspective. So you can check out www.foundationsintorah.com, and you can become a member today. So again, we were looking at the stories from 2 Kings 17, the story of Elijah and the widow from Sarfat. We also went into a lot of depth from Exodus 16 and the manna in the wilderness. Uh, two points I'd like to reiterate is that you can't have a resurrection unless there's some kind of atonement that takes place first. And secondly, in the story of the manna in the wilderness, there were two sort of aspects to it. That is that it was though as though there was a dew sandwich. So there was dew on the manna and there was dew on the ground. And the dew on the manna signified the resurrection of the Messiah and the dew on the ground signified the basically the general resurrection of the righteous. And so that becomes important when we get into the story of Gideon, which we should we should get to today. Here's just a couple of quotes I want to go back over. From Isaiah 26:17 through 19, it says, Your dead will live, my corpses will rise. Awake and sing, you who dwell in the dust. For your dew is like the morning dew, and the earth will bring the ghosts to life. So this is really one of the key passages in the Tanakh that's pointing to the, the resurrection and associating the resurrection of the dead with the dew of heaven. A, another sage quoted, saying your dew is a dew of lights or your dew is like the dew that revives plants so again we have an association with the dew and that life-giving force that brings life to plants that come forth out of the earth this is from radak he says just as your dew revives plants so will you send a dew that will revive the dead so this is very much in the thinking of the ancient sages, this connection between the dew and the resurrection of the dead. And this is what we're going to find when we get uh, into the story of Gideon, this concept of the resurrection of the dead. So out of the earth will sprout or come forth new life, just as a plant does so too, the resurrection of the dead. The idea being that something that's in the earth as a seed before it sprouts is something that's hidden or lies dormant. And that when it sprouts, it comes forth out of the earth and it's obviously no longer hidden. And that's the, that's the concept of the resurrection. Now, from Daniel 12, 1, it talks about that time. It says, in that time, which is really speaking of what we call Jacob's trouble, the time of a great distress and tribulation on the earth. 
and Mikhail, the great prince who champions your people, will stand up, and there will be a time of distress unparalleled between the time they became a nation, which was, of course, at Mount Sinai and the giving of the Torah, and that moment. At that time, your people will be delivered, everyone whose name is found written in the book. Of course, it goes on, 12.2, many of those sleeping in the dust of the earth will awaken some to everlasting life and some to everlasting shame. So we have a concept here of the of the two resurrections, the first resurrection and the second, the first being of the righteous, the second being of the wicked. But we have an association then of the resurrection of the dead with the birth pangs of the Messiah. So really the time frame of the resurrection has to do very much with the time of the birth pangs or Jacob's trouble. We see as a woman with child that draws near her delivery and cries out in her pain, so have we been before the Lord. Again, a time of great crisis in history and certainly a great upheaval in nature. The, tra- the travail is long and seems fruitless, but will come not only for those who survive the catastrophe, but the dead in the dust will awake and break into jubilant song. This next one's from Second Maccabees. The king of the world will raise us who died for his laws to an eternal re- renewal of life. Again, the resurrection of the dead. From 4 Esdras, after seven days the world will be awakened, which is not yet awake, and the corruptible will die. The earth will give back those that sleep in it and the dust of those that rest in it. The treasuries will give up the souls committed to them. And we talked in the first session about the treasuries of heaven, the seventh heaven, the Arvot, and what lies in the seventh heaven is the treasuries of the righteous or the dew. So that's the place where the where the righteous will come forth. Now the name uh, Gan Eden, although we associate obviously the Garden of Eden, the place of paradise, the place we'll return to, really the final state of the righteous. And we contrast that with the final state of the wicked, which would be Gehinom. And it is that at a time fixed by God in his plan, the bodies of the dead will be restored and raised from the tomb. And the souls from the treasuries that we just mentioned will rejoin their bodies, aided by the power of God or by the dew of heaven. And so the dew of heaven which we could we could say is the Holy Spirit, but is that life giving force. That's going to bring life to new bodies, and it's called the dew of heaven. Now we have a special prayer in the Torah from Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 32, called the Ha'azinu. It was actually a main prayer in the temple when the temple stood. Uh, today we actually read parts of it over the different Shabbats, but this is a prayer that speaks of the final redemption. And it is said to have taken place at Rosh Hashanah. So it ended up being read at Rosh Hashanah. Although later it actually was associated with Yom Kippur because of the, the association in the prayer with the redemption. But it is that Moshe, Moses, taught the Ha'azinu to Israel because it was described as being a prophetic song. So, therefore, Moshe was commanded by God to teach the people this particular song before he died. It's an interesting psalm. It's written in a two-stylized, stylized two-column format with sort of extra spaces in between, where each line matches is matched by a second parallel line or second unit. 
and it speaks of Israel in terms of her past, her present, and her future. And in the song, Moshe appoints as his witnesses to this prophecy of, of the future, uh, heaven and earth. And in it, we find that heaven is associated with the rain and the earth associated with the dew. So in this particular song, it mentions the dew, the dew of heaven. So I want to talk about that for just a second. Because we keep keep saying that it was by means of the dew of the resurrection that the dead will be aroused from their sleep. So in Deuteronomy 32.2, it says, May my teaching fall or drop like rain, and may my speech shake like dew. So our word here for rain comes from the root yore, which is the root from, for Torah. The idea of being casting forth the rain or casting forth the, this word or this teaching and that may my speech shake, the Hebrew word there is soul, may my sh uh, speech shake like dew. So we associate the dew of the resurrection with this concept of shaking. Think about uh, the valley of dry bones, Ezekiel 37, the rattling and shaking of the bones coming together and sinews coming on top of bone. Uh, the rabbis, this is a quote from the rabbis, the earth shakes and the mountains tremble, and the graves open, and the gravestones scatter. The Holy One, blessed be He, opens graves and opens storehouses of the souls, and puts back each soul into its own body. So again, this idea of the earth shaking, and the mountain trembling, and the graves opening, and the gravestones scattering, which actually the scatter, if you take the word do, which is tall, it also means to scatter or to spread. So the Torah really is like do, like do the teaching, like the life-giving force of do. There's a, a, a relationship between the two. goes on to tell us in Deuteronomy 32 here that the rain would be, uh, it would be like rain on blades of grass or on vegetation. And our, our Hebrew word there for vegetation is deshe which is an interesting word and is rarely used in scripture, I think only about three times. One time you may be familiar with, and that is from Psalm 23. Uh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. That's that word there for deshe. And uh, in Genesis 1, 1, 11, it talks about the earth sprouting or that the the sprout that comes forth from the earth on the third day is the spread sprout, excuse me, is described as deshe, that same word. So we have it here in Deuteronomy, we have it in Psalm 23, and we have it in Genesis 1:11. deshe, the, the vegetation, the idea of green pastures. Now, what the, what the rabbis say is they take this word deshe and they make it into three. So the deshe, the d sound there is dog for fish. The sh sound is Shabbat. And the, the a sound there is for mankind or Adam. So it is said that on Shabbat, the fish, the, sh the Shabbat, and the mankind idea all join together to form one, which is this idea of deshe or green pastures. Now, green pastures is also an idiom for the temple, uh, in particular the temple building. So we have this idea, especially from Psalm 23, of him making me lie down in green pastures. The, the context here being the temple. He restoring my soul within me. Of course, the revivication or the resuscitation of the dead. 
So the pasture land is, is of course, a natural habitat for sheep. And the imagery here of the earth being filled and covered with a garment of grasses and him leading me beside still waters or resting places. Again, he restores my soul. He returns my soul within me. Uh, from Isaiah sixty-six fourteen, and this is also in the context of the day of the Lord, it says, your bodies will flourish like newly sprouted grass. So again, we have this relationship with the dew on the blades of grass or the rain on the blades of grass and this new life coming forth being watered and these green pastures like newly sprouted grass. The sages tell us that on the third day, he created the trees and the grass and the Garden of Eden. And you'll remember Hosea 6.2 tells us that uh, let us return to Adonai after two days. He will revive us on the third day. He will raise us up. So many connections here to the third day, uh, the resurrection of the dead on the third day, the creation of grasses and trees and the grasses being associated with green pastures, the place of the rejuvenation of one's soul, the restoration of, of my soul. All these things come to play and all give us these images of the dew and the rain and the association with the resurrection of the dead, all to take place at the time of the world to come because Ghani Dan is really a return to the time of the world to come, the Olam Haba, the future age to come. Now, all that said, we're going to start moving into the story of Gideon and the dew. And hopefully you'll, you'll now see Gideon in a whole new light because we've, we've all had sort of this opinion of what the dew is here um, and the dew on the fleece, I should say, even more in particular. So the fleece, many people think they just kind of throw out some prayer and hope God will answer it. And if he does, that means the, the fleece, they were good to go. But I'm going to show you how it really means something quite different. Now, uh, the story of Gideon we find in Judges chapter 6, but we got to back up a little bit into chapter 5 to get some context here. So previously in Judges chapter 5, we find that, that there's, it's actually called the day of punishment. So there's a bad time coming against Gideon and the children of Israel. The time period also is signified by the blowing of a shofar in Gibeah. And an, an alarm being sounded. So the pattern here of the blowing of the shofar and the alarm being sounded is the time of Rosh Hashanah, the time of the sounding of the shofar ushering in the kingdom, the time of the birth pangs, the time of the resurrection of the dead, the coronation of the king, the time of judgment, all these different images. So the time of the dew is now associated with this sort of punishment, this judgment of the uh, the enemies of Israel are being judged at the time of the birth pangs of the Messiah. Now, I found a very interesting quote. This was in the, the book by Raphael Patai called the Messiah Text, speaking about the shofar and, and what it means. So it says that he will take the great shofar and blow it seven times. At the first blast, the whole world shakes. Here we have that imagery of shaking again and the dew and being the resurrection at the first blast, the whole world shakes and suffers the pangs like a woman in childbirth. So you see the connections again. At the second blast, the dust is scattered and the graves open. So this idea of the dust being scattered, remember the word for dew is actually tall, which means to spread or scatter. At the third blast, the bones gather together 
At the fourth blast, the limbs are stretched. At the fifth blast, skin comes into being. At the sixth blast, spirits and souls enter bodies. And on the seventh blast, they live and stand up on their feet in clothes. So this is tied to these seven blasts of the shofar at the time of the birth pangs, the time that the woman is in labor and childbirth, a time of great distress and trouble and tribulation, what we call Jacob's trouble. So by the time we get to Judges 6, we see Israel is not in favor with their God. It says that she is doing evil. So basically, because of her evil actions, God has handed her over to Midian for seven years. Again, a picture of the time of Jacob's trouble. This is the, what we call the Hevle Mashiach, or the days or the, uh, the times of the birth pains of the Messiah. Again, a time of great distress, unparalleled in the history of mankind. And so we see described the people hid in mountains and caves and other safe places. And just like we'll see that happening in the future, that the, that the people will hide from God, basically, in the mountains and in the caves. And so who's coming after them? It is Amalek. Amalek plus others are coming from the east to attack them, which is interesting because Amalek is really considered to be the eternal enemy of Israel through every generation going back to Esau. And it, what it describes in there is that Amalek has destroyed all their produce. So basically they have no sheep, no oxen, no donkeys, no nothing. And Amalek is also described as coming as thick as locusts. So I think you can see the connection there to the book of Revelation, where we have the locusts outfitted for battle looking uh, looking like horses, essentially, and given the power to hurt for five months. So Amalek, again, a picture of the evil spirit coming from the east that basically destroys everything in its path. And Amalek connected very much to being the eternal enemy of Israel. And really, in every single generation, one like Amalek, one coming in the spirit of Amalek, tries to come against Israel. In the meantime, Adonai sent a prophet, Gideon, who is a picture of the Messiah, the Savior. So this battle that we have between the Messiah and the false Messiah is, is an eternal battle repeated all through Scripture from beginning to end over and over again. And we find that Gideon, Gidon, was threshing wheat in the wine press in order to hide the wheat from the Midian, Midianites. So our root word here for hide is actually a word, word meaning prune. Now, I thought it was quite interesting, uh, and also wheat generally refers to the righteous. So he's there, uh, he's trying to preserve the wheat and protect it from the enemy. So what's interesting is that normally a wine press is at the bottom of a hill or a mountain carved out in rock. It's a pit, basically, a stone pit. We contrast that with the fact that the threshing floor is usually at the top of the hill, and it's at the top so that it, they can catch the wind. They would throw up the grain. and They'd be able to separate the wheat from the chaff by the wind. But here we have the wheat being protected at the bottom of the hill in a wine press. So that's kind of an interesting imagery. Uh, to my mind, it says that if the wheat are in the wine press at the bottom of the hill, they would basically have to wait for a supernatural wind to come to separate the wheat from the chaff. And so I have sort of this image in my mind of the Holy Spirit coming and separating that out in separating out the wheat from the chaff 
uh, as represented by the children of Israel and in the wine press at the bottom of the hill. Now, at, at this time, God tells Gidon or Gideon to go in the strength of yours, in this word hazak for strength, and save Israel from the hands of Midian. Midian. So you see very clearly that Gideon is in fact a picture of the savior of Israel. And this word chazak, which means strong, refers to a strong redeemer, strong savior, and is very much identified with the resurrection of dead. In fact, you can see that in the Amidah prayers, the one relating to the redemption, the Goel Hazak is how it's described, and that's the name given to Gideon in this case. But Gideon responds in the same way as Moshe. So how can I save Israel? I'm the youngest. You've got to give me a sign that you're talking with me. So he's not, even though he's hearing directly from God, he has some doubts. So this great army, uh, I get back to here for a second, coming from the east, described in Revelation, is in this case, also not only Amalek, but Midian, which of course is the place where Moshe went to after he left Egypt he went to the land of Midian it's the place that he returned to what did God say to him that I brought you up from Egypt I took you out of the house of slavery I rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and all your oppressors and I drove them away and gave you their land but you did not hear my voice but this imagery as I said continues to be repeated over and over again and God returns and says to Gideon, the Savior, you've been declared a mighty hero, a, a givor, because you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. So in the same way that Moshe saved Israel from the Egyptians, so too Gideon would save Israel from the Midianites. Of course, they're the people from the east. But in response, Gideon wants a sign, just the same way that Moshe wanted a sign, so too Gideon. And he says, don't depart from me here until I return to you. And I will bring my tribute and place it before you. So again, the key to the resurrection of the dead is that there has to be some kind of atonement. And so this is the case in the story of Gideon. And so he is going to bring an atonement. That would be his tribute. The father responds, I will wait or I will dwell until you return back. We kind of see this imagery of the Messiah who after his atonement returned back to the father. So what does it say? Gideon went inside and he prepared a young goat and a matzot, it tells us. So we certainly have some Passover imagery indicated here with the matzah and the goat. And it also can be connected to Yom Kippur. And uh, this is, we, we want to, um, we're going to probably conclude here. I've only got a couple of more minutes to, to really talk about this. But this time of, this indication of it being, Passover, the time at Nisan 1, remember, is a prayer that begins the prayers uh, for Jew, the Tefillat Tal. And it is that the rabbis associate the spring with the dew and the beginning of the time of the redemption of Israel. So this is what, uh, this is this picture of atonement we have at the time of Passover, because of course that's the time Yeshua the Messiah uh, was crucified, hung on the tree, and resurrected from the dead. And if Gideon is going to be another pattern of what Messiah accomplished, so we're going to have that imagery. So uh, even though the first coming, of course, is associated with Passover, his second coming, Yeshua, that is, when he returns, that's going to be taking place at the fall season and when the final redemption will take place at Yom Kippur. So 
that will that final defeat of their enemies, enemy of uh, Midian or Amalek, is something that's going to take place then in the fall at the, at the fall festivals from Rosh Hashanah to Sukkot. So we have both of those seasons kind of indicated here in this story of Gideon. So um, I'll probably conclude this portion. Next time we'll pick it up. We're going to go into uh, more detail about what Gideon did and, and explain some about the fleece. So again, I'd like to uh, encourage you to go to my website, Foundations in Torah, and uh, I've got all kinds of uh, interesting information, interesting teachings on a variety of topics, and I've covered... Uh, Things such as the dew of heaven and the fig trees and um, study programs, etc. So you can go and sign up today and become a member. That's www.foundationsintorah.com. Looking forward to seeing you next time. Shalom and thank you.